I liked the last episode. You did yourself. Or I did? I'm always putting my foot in my mouth. But thanks, JD, for editing it together and making the world laugh with us. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. We have a call for speakers. Um, we have a lovely call for speakers form that was handcrafted. It's artisanal, a bit hipster, and a lot WordPress, but it's a form. And there you can tell us what five-minute talk, what 15-minute talk, or what 30-minute talk you want to give. And we welcome everybody to submit. Submit to our call for speaker proposal. Um, if you need help for your first talk, we will happily help you talk about it, workshop it. Um, I help my kids give their talks. I can help you too. <laughs> Lots of presentations to do in school. So um, we're here to help. And we want to see lots of new speakers, lots of new people, and your contributions are valuable. We appreciate it. Yeah, we're back on Discord this week. We've been, we were off the Discord train for a while because we we're suffering a lot of audio latency um, that went to Zoom. And then we got some audio latency there. <laughs> the cloud and the servers and the people, they're everywhere. Editing these recordings are much easier for me. So, yeah especially since we can't trust that your nuke and paved uh, system is actually doing what what Zoom is asked to do. <laughs> yeah. It's getting better and better every time I do it. You know, I'm onboarding myself every week. <laughs> I mean, that's one reason to get set up with an MBM, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've been... You I've can auto-enroll uh, yourself. Yeah. I mean, my uh, my laptop's in depth. Uh, Apple Business Manager, and so it automatically enrolls back in Simple MDM, and I have an account. I have a whole setup procedure. You know, I don't have to see all those startup sequences, thanks to the little bit of work I've done to get that working, which isn't a couple check boxes in Simple MDM. But uh, yeah, with Simple MDM and their monkey built in, boom, uh, you know, you're pretty much ready to go. Almost. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Slack steals from Discord. Discord is going to IPO or get bought by Microsoft. What has Microsoft not bought? Is that am I remembering that correctly? I mean, it, it's up in the air. I think they are looking for uh, either to to find investors and make an IPO, uh, or otherwise known as an initial public offering, or to be purchased by by somebody. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see. Uh, what and if anything uh, happens there, but but I don't think it'll affect uh, uh, our use of Discord uh, coming coming this June at uh, a certain conference that that might be held in June. But it did make us look at some other things. I mean, I I don't know how I stumbled onto Matrix or Element, but I guess yeah, we'll we'll source. we'll be sure to have a backup plan. But <laughs> backup plans are our lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, Microsoft bought Minecraft. They didn't break that, right? So that's good. 
we'll have right. a Minecraft Discord mix. Well, every everybody will be in brick mode or something. I don't know. Am I saying that right? <laughs> uh, I, I will be Mining. at a complete loss because I I do not understand uh, Minecraft at all. So I'm, I'm I'm called on occasionally to reboot the Minecraft server or troubleshoot some plugins for <laughs> various parts of Minecraft, but. So Minecraft management as a service is what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> well, speaking of privacy and, and uh, tracking and fun things like that, uh, Backblaze had uh, a little bit of a blow up with uh, uh, the accidental or not so accidental placement of a Facebook tracking pixel uh, on their B2 bucket page uh, for it looks like well over a couple of weeks. Uh, for that uh, and that uh, that whole situation kind of blew up on them just a little bit I, I i'm gonna go with benefit of the doubt and say yes that was definitely accidental how many times have you misconfigured something in this case what the actual fish sticks um yeah marketing you know we have a love-hate relationship with marketing, right? It's a communication of ideas. You're trying to explain your product or your service. Um, even here at Mac DevOps HQ, we have a love-hate with marketing. The marketing people tell us, we have to tell the users about your service. You mean about the conference? Yes. We should send them a newsletter. No. But yes, tracking pixels. Um, I recently... Uh, Got the stamp on all these in in macOS mail app with the uh, uh, that tracking bl um, blocker that I installed, and that should be in mail by default. But yeah, tracking pixels in websites. So it seems like Backblaze accidentally enabled a tracking pixel in a page that you use to access what files to restore. I think it was just on one of the pages. I think right by accident. Uh, according to their their release, only uh, released file names and uh, specifics that way, but not the actual files. If it's like, you know, John Doe's, uh, you know, cancer treatment plan, well, you've now just exposed that information to to the worldwide uh, web of Facebook. Maybe it's or just the the scary world of Facebook, really. Um, and you know, that, that information, that profile that they are building, uh, on you, uh, you know, just continues to grow since there's very little transparency in, in what these corporations are doing, uh, with, with the data and, and it goes beyond, you know, Facebook, there's, you know, Google and, and, uh, uh, and Twitter and, and others that, that do similar things that are building profiles, uh, on their, on not only their users, but anybody who's coming across their platforms uh, to target advertising to them. Uh, but along those lines, Google, you know, I think last week or the, or two weeks ago, uh, has decided that that they're going to take away the ability to target advertising uh, at. Uh, specific, super specific groups. I mean, I think you, you used to be able to get down to basically, I want to target all the mats in Vancouver. Uh, and I could do that with Google and they're, they're taking some of that capability away um, and not, not being as narrow focused uh, as, as they have been in the past for targeting of advertising. Yeah. I mean, tracking, 
measuring. We seem to have an addiction for measuring and data. Sometimes this is good. Sometimes this is not good in terms of privacy invasion. We don't always know as an author if someone's read your book or magazine article, but thanks to tracking pixels, you want to know if they've read how many pages of your of your article on Apple's books platform, digital platform or something. So, or same with websites. Um, yeah, we don't always need to know if people read the things. Maybe they'll write you and tell you that they did. <laughs> right. Well, it's just, it's, it's an interesting paradigm, you know, that, that this is showing up on, on software as a service platforms, you know, that they're essentially websites that, that you're already paying for access. And I understand if it's a free service, you know, if you want to put trackers and stuff like that on there, I mean, you're, you are basically exchanging that information for, for free use, right? You, you, uh, you are essentially the service <laughs> that, that, that they have. Uh, you're, you're not actually the customer. The customer is the advertiser. Um, but if you're paying for that service, I, I would expect that that would be fairly free of, of uh, trackers uh, in, in that way. I know I, I have a few other services that, uh, thanks to ad blockers and things like that, that, that I run, uh, light up uh, very quickly with, with tracking pixels being blocked. Uh, uh, and I, I, I pay for those services. I would expect those tracking pixels not to be there. There's a big reckoning with privacy that needs to happen. And I think Europe has started to address this with the GDPR. And uh, we in the Americas, North America and the rest of the world needs to also address this. But we need to reiterate that free services, you are the product. So they're going to monetize you. You're using Facebook for free. You are the product. You're using Google Mail for free. Then you are the product. We would hope that when we're paying for services, whether it's Apple iCloud services or other paid services that we are not exchanging our data, our metadata, um, because we're paying for a service. So if that's not happening, we need to make that clear. It's like most of the apps in the app store. You know, there's a, a free version of the app that generally has uh, some sort of ad running at the bottom of it. Uh, but there's also the paid version and paying for that app means that you're no longer being advertised to. Uh, because you have exchanged. Uh... Well, we put developers in sort of an untenable situation where nobody wants to pay money for things. And so they're using third-party frameworks to monetize data about users because the users aren't willing to put up a dollar or $5 or $10 for a game. That's uh, one of the reasons why I like the idea of Apple Arcade. It's like you can pay for a service and get, you know, quality games that aren't stealing metadata and private data about users, um, only if my kids wanted to play those games, that'd be great. <laughs> Instead, they're <laughs> Minecrafting and playing other games. <laughs> yeah, Discord I mean that—that <laughs> that's the struggle. Uh, you know, is making sure that that there's the right fit, right? The the right mix of the types of games that that your kids or or whom, whomever want to play uh, under under that blanket service. Um, it's it's definitely a, a struggle, and we we've seen that with other uh, organizations. Uh, like I I can't remember the the company that runs Fortnite, but uh, they Epic. you know Epic, Epic. right? Um, their you know their struggle is that they want flexibility in in being able to 
collect money for the game and and not give as much of a percentage to to Apple. Um, and uh, we've seen kind of the the dancing of of corporate giants uh, as as this uh, slowly plays out uh, to see who who will win. Uh, will it be uh, you know Apple on the Apple Store uh, and and kind of that monopoly? Uh, uh, of a platform, or will uh, will somebody like Epic win out, and then and, and developers have more freedom uh, in how they're able to sell their apps uh, and and access their customers? Yeah, I mean, thirty percent versus fifteen percent. I mean, it makes a big difference. I mean, Apple's putting up the infrastructure, so they need to be paid something. But is it thirty percent? Is that a lot? Yeah, that's a huge cut. Well, especially when you, you know, and I'm coming to this from the uh, the reseller side of things, Apple's margin uh, as a reseller is not 30%. So if I'm selling Matt here a $1,000 laptop, I am not making $300 off of that. Um, their, their margins are much, much tighter and slimmer than that, like into the single digits. Uh, so many single digits, you can count them on one hand. So it, it's really interesting that that uh, Apple makes the or takes the stance that that it's okay for them to take thirty percent from developers, uh, but on their own hardware and software platforms, they they are not as willing to give up that margin, and they can do that because they're Apple and they're huge and have that power. They've turned into a, a huge player in the industry, and services revenue is a large part of what they're doing. I noticed a really interesting blog post by uh, Charity Majors, Mipsy Tipsy on Twitter. She's always writing very interesting things. Uh, she works for Honeycomb. She is Honeycomb. Um, I'm wearing the nurse shirt, test in production, or live a lie. But uh, she was talking about uh, continuous integration, continuous deployment uh, process, and how this relates to their testing and production and getting things deployed to production as as quickly as possible and somebody mapped out with a spreadsheet because he just couldn't get it in a series of tweets but about if i understand it correctly like how how long is the delay between your testing track into production and what the cost like how much it's extra it's costing you um it's very interesting and definitely something to look at for those who do a lot of git commits and deploy a lot of code and do a lot of work with CI CD infrastructure. Love to uh, talk to some of those people and see what they think um, on the next podcast. Always interesting charity majors. So is, is the idea behind this to, to have quicker cycles of, of pushing your code uh, more efficient uh, than, than having longer cycles? Uh, and and essentially perfecting your code before you ship it is that the idea? Yeah, and I'm risking going out on a limb. To... <laughs> but what I think it is is set up your code in such a way that you can be testing in production rather than testing in testing and before pushing production. So, like one of the questions she had was, "What would you do with four times as many engineering cycles as you have today?" Well, let's go fix your. CI/CD pipeline and find out. <laughs> it's like you're, you know, you're wasting, you know, thirty percent of your time or fifty percent of your time fixing stuff when you should be just doing it in production. Uh, that's my very quick summary. Of what I think, 
it's basically she's like you know if your CI/CD run has a failed run and you don't deploy to production then that's you're you're stalled you're failing you're flailing so we need to smooth that out push to production and be able to see things live in production and so they have tools that uh, that make that work well so you can see your code and and troubleshoot it in production um, yeah okay. if I understand correctly yeah <laughs> well. And maybe you know, somebody will correct us, uh, and, yes. or help uh, help us do. Uh, help us uh, uh, understand this process uh, a little bit more. I mean, that would make a, a great topic uh, to talk about uh, CI/CD. I'd love to have Charity on the podcast, and I've yeah. I've talked to her in the past about coming to Mac DevOps, but maybe you know a virtual. <laughs> Wait, Mac DevOps is going to be virtual? Hey, JD, did you hear? Mac DevOps is going to be online. The YVR is all digital now. <laughs> Your virtual, uh, what what will we use the R for? Mm. Hello, hello. Welcome to the virtual Vancouver, the digital Mac DevOps podcast. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's not really yep. catchy. I, I don't think I should go into marketing. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Do you have a train station? Do you want an airport code? Let me tell you something. That is one of the highlights of of Mac DevOps is the exploration of the Canadian airport codes. That's the best. That's the best we got. Mac DevOps. It's all about airport codes. I mean, come for the airport codes. Stay for the lively discussion around CI/CD and DevOps and deploying Macs and the state of the world. But also, airport codes? Always airport codes. <laughs> I'm definitely a fanboy of Tailscale, which is like an easy version of WireGuard. They're putting my marketing hat on. No, I just love Tailscale because it makes mesh VPN and connecting devices easy. And also, they're prolific tweeters in Tailscale. And so I love watching their... Uh, their Twitter streams, and uh, there's been a bunch about DNS and Linux DNS. You think Mac OS has DNS weird issues? Well, wait till you check out Linux. <laughs> they, um, who was it? Is it Brad or no? Dave Anderson from Tailscale. He was he published a whole kind of like a mind map, like flow chart of how to analyze which thing is changing DNS at the moment to affect which thing we should look at to check <laughs> where DNS is going. Uh, it was it was fascinating. There's been a lot of sort of upcoming changes in the way Linux is going to handle DNS and other things, I guess systemd. And kind of like when LaunchD came out with macOS, and there was a lot of um, uh, concern and consternation from people that are used to just the flat files and uh, the old way of doing things. You know, there's some changes coming in Linux, and for some, it can't happen soon enough, quick enough. And others, it's like no. Yeah, it's the the fear of the unknown, right? Uh, it's and it's always DNS. Uh, I I would like a similar mind map uh, for um, handling firewalls in uh, uh, in uh, Linux. I mean, is, mm. is it IP fire IPFW? Uh, you know, <laughs> some of that setup uh, I have struggled with to to make sure the right ports are open and able to be listened upon and, and not exposing the entire server to the to the world as I spin up my little uh, Linode instances or DigitalOcean instances. 
yeah, there's nothing so humbling as a simple firewall and some firewall rules to uh, make a complete idiot out of you and me, especially me. <laughs> I appreciated uh, Synology's uh, interface on firewalls because it had this cute little warnings like, you are about to do something that will lock you out. So you don't want to do that. I'm like, ah, thank you. I did that wrong. It's like, yeah, been there a couple of times. How oh, I block, I blocked port 22. Now I cannot SSH back into the server to unblock that. Yeah. Every time I kept trying to write the wrong rule, Synology would just like go, uh, no. Um, I was just like, thank you. <laughs> kept thought, uh, yeah, I kept thinking I was making a brick out of my Synology, but I could see how that bring it back to Mac DevOps and takes a whole new level when you're doing that with cloud instances and you're, you know, stuck having just to blow them away, I guess, if you can <laughs> restart. Well, you're, you are becoming the expert at nuking and paving things. Well, so. that was my approach to fixing my Minecraft instances I had up on um, one of those. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> the name right now, but uh, I had uh, some hosted Minecraft, but I could never get in to really configure it. And so my, Every time I want to change settings, I would nuke it and pave it and rebuild it. I mean, it's just Minecraft. I mean, my kid cried a bit every time they lost stuff they made. But yeah. That's what? Life. You're not backing up the Minecraft server? I was not. What, what's your recovery plan for the Minecraft server? Nuke and pave. <laughs> oh, you want survival mode? Okay, and you can pave. Oh, you want back cooperative? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Mikey Mikey, I went back and started working with a Mac server to do it for a while. And that was, I found it much easier to configure the options for different modes i don't know maybe it was just a linux template i was using it was just it kept promising better control of your minecraft world but now this is turning into a minecraft podcast and i don't know anything about minecraft <laughs> other than yeah this is a very one-sided podcast if that's the case because i i know nothing uh, about about it so well one day i will go to sweden and it's because that's where minecraft's from <laughs> <laughs> have to do a uh, a journey to Sweden one of these days. One of these <laughs> Mojang, um, yeah. Well, the other thing uh, might bring up uh, that we haven't had a chance to talk about is that uh, Apple released um, uh, uh, a nice tech talk about how uh, to deploy Big Sur in your organization. Um, Yes. And uh, it was a, it's a nice, I want to say it's about a 50 minute long uh, video that goes into some, some good detail about uh, how MDM uh, uh, is handled and, and uh, Apple Business Manager, Apple School Manager uh, for, for deploying uh, the M1 uh, machines uh, out with Big Sur and restoration and uh, basically how not to harm yourself by uh, uh, deleting all the partitions on your drive uh, and then needing. Uh... I thought it was great. Mike Boylan and Danielle DeBella. Uh, was, I watched it through the whole thing and it was a great overview. I actually learned one or two things. It was just a great reiteration of all the things that have changed in um, over the last year or so. And um, I thought it was great. A great summary, a great explanation, just breaking it all down into the different steps and pieces and um and shout out to mike and danielle for that video thank you so much for taking the time to explain it and uh, i mean yeah. i think the key takeaway is that you always need two you need one to back up the other or restore the other rather we're talking no. about people or machines <laughs> machines <laughs> <laughs> 
you need you need one mac if if you if you brick the other mac you need to be able to plug it into yet another mac and put it in basically dfu mode and uh which isn't dfu um they have a new uh file mode uh for for the m1s uh and basically restore the system uh partition on it using uh um apple configurator uh so it's it's really interesting uh, since it, it literally is a giant iPad or a small yes. iPad if yes. it's the Mac Mini. New changes, yeah. You can't just net boot or you know boot from the internet. Um, yeah, lots of changes. Although I've seen that uh, Tim Tim Perfect has uh, made some more progress on getting MDS to work on the M1s. Yeah, using the not called recovering, but the sort of recovery environment. Um, yeah, there's a new name for it. I already forgot. <laughs> <laughs> the onward progress of open source and ingenuity. Uh, Tim Perfit, he's a gem. The smart cookie, that guy. And he's restoring a, a model. It's on a Model T. Model, model a. a. Yeah. So follow follow Tim for for random updates on puppies. Model A restoration and MDS. We interrupt this news announcement for a commercial from Two Canoes Software and Tim Perfit. <laughs> you want to do things that are cool? Follow us. Yeah, Tim, he's awesome. Oh, been playing with OS Query. Yeah, Zach. Zach inspired you. Zach inspired me. I've been playing with Fleet DM device management and. Uh, Upgraded to the new OS Query 4.7.0 and yeah, sending queries and uh, playing with query packs. And yeah, there's a lot of potential there once I figure out how to use it all perfectly well, or at least reasonably well. I'll, I'll, I'll settle for reasonably well. <laughs> to be said of all tools. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is there's lots to learn everywhere I look. Never a dull moment. Well, good luck with that. I'm not touching OS query. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Somebody uh, generated a lovely community screen recording profile that has like every screen recording possible, every screen recording app possible, because you can only create a profile to allow the user to enable it if they want, but only if you've provided it beforehand or it's a complicated um, catch 22 of security and privacy, but with this new profile, you can enable the opportunity to enable the screen recording slash support or video tool. Uh, Pound bang bash is their GitHub name. So that's, that's interesting. You push a profile like that out and somebody nefarious convinces them to start sharing their screen using yet another tool, um, you've basically allowed that, right? So is that counterproductive? Every service is a feature-rich opportunity for exploitation. I mean, I'm talking about the social engineering aspect of, of screen sharing. So I have, I have been witness to several incidences of, hi, this is Michael, Michael from you know Apple support calling you saying that we need to fix issues with your machine, please go to this link and download the software and share your screen, uh, where 
Apple would never call you. Uh, and, and that guy, Michael is, is a scam artist, uh, who is gaining access to your machine. If you send out a profile like that, that basically authorizes the user to go ahead and enable whatever other screen sharing apps that, that your entity is not, uh, actually supporting you're, you're putting yourself at risk. So I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I would, I would use such a profile uh, gingerly and or edit it down to only allow the tools that you're actually using understanding oh, that you can only have only have one one uh, profile to to support this type of authorization definitely um, look at all code that you deploy for sure but to be devil's advocate uh, there's nothing to stop someone from tricking someone to install a profile as well as tricking them to do anything and i've taken phone calls from parental units that say they're on the phone with scammers that are saying that they have hackers and i'm like well you've just let them into your computer so sure hang up now um and after watching a terrible rabbit hole of videos about people hacking hackers computers and scammers online it was just the industry uh, that is propped up to steal people of their money and convince them to transfer all their money to different accounts or to send cash in the mail i mean it's just horrible it's just it's insane. And thanks to globalization and the awesome internet, it has enabled this new attack vector and it's terrible. Uh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately humans are still the weakest link in this entire system, uh, either from creating the capabilities, uh, and, or the social engineering aspect of it, of, of, uh, being, being the target, uh, or targeting, uh, the victims, uh, for that. So, uh, we we hope for a nicer, better world, but but this is the one we live in. So be wary. Be wary. Put put your tinfoil hat back on. <laughs> yes, but I think the goal of this uh, config file was to help um, administrators who are looking to allow uh, screen recording by their users. So hopefully it helps. But yeah, don't curl into bash no no you don't don't curl scripts straight into the uh, bash prompt is that bad only you if it's uh preface with sudo you should preface it with sudo only if it's coming from github yeah, only good <laughs> things come from github right the mac devops yvr conference and podcast is looking for sponsors support and encourage developers in it to work together to solve problems for our community by sponsoring mac devops if you're interested in sponsoring the mac devops yvr conference and podcast send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com we have three awesome new sponsors for the 2021 conference back again is mac stadium our platinum sponsor um, they are also helping us to sponsor the hack night I'm going to provide some awesome Mac instances for us to test and hack with. Um, we have Simple MDM that's back as our silver sponsor. Thank you so much to Taylor and everybody. And new this year is Flow Swiss AG with their Mac bare metal service. Um, an awesome European sponsor. Thank you so much. Um, we couldn't do this conference without our sponsors. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service.
cut out my cold black heart. You're not cutting that out. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Second coffee was a bad idea. Is that second or third? I'm not sure. Second? Not enough. 